Yeah, definitely the mountains. I was born on the East Coast, grew up on the Midwest, um, lived in the South, Texas for a while, and then and Kentucky, and then moved over to uh, Utah, Oregon, and now Colorado. So I would really say the West was a draw for me. Um, the mountains really called out. And the first time I visited the mountains, I was almost like, wow, these are a little scary. Like they kind of swallow you in a way if mm -hmm. you come from flat ground or you grow up on pretty flat land. But now it's like, I could never go back. I mean, it's crazy to, you know, go outside the this area and then return and just be like, oh yeah, this is why I moved out here. For This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today has her master's in public health. She's been competitively running for 13 years and weightlifting for the last seven plus counting now. She's a former NCAA Division I collegiate athlete, both in cross country and track. Uh, founder of Strong Runner Chicks, which is a community of female distance runners. And you can listen to her much like you listen to this show on Strong Runner Chick Radio, uh, another podcast, which I'm sure is available on a ton of platforms. She can tell us here in a second. Um, she's also associated with Trail Runner Magazine. She's a part of their coach concierge team. So if you get that, you can check into that. Or if you're interested in private run coaching, she's also a run coach. Welcome to the show, Megan Flanagan. Thank you. Happy to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Jesse, absolutely. Be here. Yeah. Um, so for, for you listening, you don't know this because uh, this will come out in a couple of weeks, but this is we're the day after Thanksgiving. So if we're like a little lethargic, I'll apologize in advance. <laughs> we're probably still like full of turkey and all, all that good stuff. Um, I guess I should say I am. I, I don't know what Megan ate yesterday aside from <laughs> friends brought things and it was it was not My stressful friends brought for ham. They didn't want to do turkey this year. So yeah, but lots of good food. Pumpkin Sounds like pie. I should have come to your house. I I prefer ham versus really. Turkey, we should have so. swapped. I prefer turkey. So <laughs> anyway, nice. Yeah. Um, so we were we were talking before we got going um, that you've kind of lived a little bit of everywhere. So if people ask you where you're from, you're a little perplexed as to say where you're from. Um, you're in Colorado now and doing mm -hmm. some trail running. Getting into that, it, is it? Did the trails take you out there? What, like what, what drew you to Colorado, I guess? Yeah, definitely the mountains. I was born on the East coast, grew up on the Midwest, um, lived in the South Texas for a while and then, and Kentucky, and then moved over to, uh, Utah, Oregon, and now Colorado. So I would really say the West was a draw for me. Um, the mountains really called out and, the first time I visited the mountains, I was almost like, wow, these are a little scary. Like they kind of swallow you in a way if mm -hmm. you come from flat ground or you grow up on pretty flat land. But now it's like I could never go back. I mean, it's crazy to, you know, go outside the 
this area and then return and just be like, oh yeah, this is why I moved out here for trail running for sure. Um, and then the mountains and the sunshine, to be honest, from coming from Portland, sunshine here is great. Yeah. You know, I, I talked to, um, now I can't remember the episode, but Sarah, Sarah Lavender Smith, who wrote um, the trail running companion guide, or uh, I'm saying that wrong, but if you look her up, I'm sure the book will pop up. Uh, we're talking about trail running, and I kind of like getting trail running, but it's it is kind of sparse around here, unfortunately. So I, I kind of feel like it, it's almost like I'm battling uphill to get into it, since I'll have to do a lot of traveling to like make any kind of real inroads into, you know, good competitive trail running races, um, and just getting in any training that's not like relatively flat mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely presents a challenge to a lot of people that are even you know i just moved here from sea level i mean portland's at sea level not a lot mm -hmm. of people know but it makes training for mountain races a little more challenging knowing what you're up against so. have you have you adjusted yet to the new altitude are you still like yeah i'd say so the, the time i'm definitely sensitive to it so i noticed the first you know four to six weeks but it's gotten a lot better and having lived at altitude prior like in utah for a couple of years i think mm -hmm. i that was the biggest shock and then coming back to it, it's like oh yeah i remember this but i i only live at six i tell people like 12 is a lot different from six or doing mm -hmm. a 14 or still hurts you know you still feel that so yeah yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, even for altitude adjusted people, I don't know that people don't feel when you get that high. I don't know that there's mm -hmm. anybody that's like, yeah, no big deal. It's right. fine. Yeah, well, <laughs> all affected a little differently, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah. maybe there's going to be an outlier that's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, pretends, but I just think there's, there's a reason that there's so few like human population or cities that are at that altitude anywhere right. on the planet, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a difficult place to live. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, uh, so I'm, I'm uh, projecting and picking on you a little bit, but since you've lived everywhere, I wonder, will you stick in Colorado or like, will Wanderlust hit you and make you feel like you've got to go somewhere else? Am I, am I on, am I on track or, or you're like, no, this is, I'm here. Like, this is it. Yeah, I think this is it, which is weird for me to say because I've moved around every couple of years for almost my whole life. And mm -hmm. so to be like, yeah, this is home. It's kind of like, whoa, it's crazy. But um, you never know, right? Like, I, I just don't know what the future holds. So I don't want to say for sure that I'd be here forever. But even within Colorado, so many different mountain towns and areas you can move um, I'm in the front range. So for those that don't know, that's kind of anywhere from Colorado Springs, I think, up to um, Fort Collins, so kind of within that Denver metro and surrounding areas, which, yeah, I'm happy with, you know, there's plenty of people, things to do, and you still get the benefit of having good mountain access, so. Good yeah. mountain access, good airport access. Am I selling everyone on Colorado? <laughs> I, I feel like Colorado kind of sells itself. I, I mean, know. So many people yeah. move out there. I got to tell people to not move here, right? I'm one of those people. Tell us about all the bad things. These are the reasons not to move here. Well, you know, with all the climate change stuff, if you've, you know, depending on your beliefs and such, but there's, there's a lot happening here. Like the windy gusts are really bizarre. And some of the weather, if you don't like it going from extreme snow to like seventies the next day, then you wouldn't like it here. So maybe if you don't like a lot of sun, you know, some people like the rain, you don't see a lot of rain. Oh, and you don't see a lot of green either or oceans. Mm -hmm. So not a lot of water, not a lot of, yeah. 
lot of that. Does that talk everybody out of it? Maybe. Yeah. And it's crowded. Oh, and cost of living. Cost yes. of living is insane. We're talking Good about luck finding a house. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> anyway, I'm done with my show here in Colorado. But yeah, we'll, we'll just like uh, that, we're going on a whole other rabbit hole, which is my tendency. I was going to say we could start a tent city, but then that's a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I realized I was like. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. I didn't mean to go that direction. It was just trying to make a joke. And then so it was too close to home, I think, as far as reality. Um, so let's get back to running, I guess. Um, so, you know, running in college, running post-college, um, coaching people now. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, why continue? I mean, I, I'm sure I'm positive that you, like me, know plenty of ex-collegiate athletes that just gave it up and got fat um, because it kept eating and didn't, you know, accommodate for all the not running. So, I mean, why, why continue putting in the work? You know, it's, it's not easy being a competitive athlete, let alone continuing when you're outside of that team, you know, college structure. Yeah, I think I've always known I wanted to be more of an athlete for life, like the long-term sustainable approach to it. Mm-hmm. And even like my teammates would always kind of see me as that person that was just going to keep on going. And I just thought that was normal. Like, yeah, why wouldn't you want to continue on with the sport and get into trails and ultra running? And I think I was voted like most likely to run an ultra a few times among my smaller team when we were doing 5Ks and, you know, early days of high school and such. So anyway, mm-hmm. I kind of had that in me. I think I just enjoyed running long. I love trails and just love the process of training more so than like the racing itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always liked the community aspect too, of just like continuing to find and build community. And I always say running has been like this sort of string that's followed me. So everywhere I've moved all nine plus states in the U S at least I, uh, I found like really cool running communities within, and that's been a way to meet people, connect with people. And then obviously like, you know, podcasting, right. You can meet people from all over Mm -hmm. and you go stay somewhere and you know, some people already for through the podcast or through some other race that that's just been a really cool experience to me. It's, it was interesting now. I mean, given that you've moved all over, seen, seen all kinds of different people, met all kinds of different people. It was that, the impetus for founding strong runner chicks where like now you've got a, basically a community that moves with you regardless, regardless of where you are. Somewhat. Yeah. I would probably say I didn't think of it that way. I started it in college and I more so saw there was like this gap for Mm -hmm. women runners specifically, especially collegiate athletes like there just wasn't a great platform other than like let's run or I run far some of those other ones. you know, and runner's world just was like, get off the couch, run your first 5k. And it's like, that's not where a college distance runner is thinking. They like need someone to tell them to tone it down, to actually allow themselves to, you know, eat that extra serving or whatever. So it's just like a different mindset, I think of about what maybe they need to hear and that kind of messaging. So I was like, why not start a, you know, an online community? And they're back when I started, it was like blogging was a little more of a thing mm-hmm. back in 2015. So seven whole years ago, now things have shifted and it's like podcasting and even video now and just different elements. Um, and then the desire to do in-person kind of 
events also came from that mm -hmm. and just a really cool way to connect with other women like our first retreat we had in 2018 i didn't know a single person there and it was just so cool to show up and us all like have this sense of we already know each other from sort of the online space and mm -hmm. we've supported one another through the years and then now we're getting to meet in person two three years later so yeah it's been a really neat experience and something that can i kind of see it as a bonus too it can like follow you around when you have this virtual or online community too. So you're like holding camps over the summer. So I guess for you, the listener, if you didn't grow up in cross country, it is not yeah. uncommon that, I mean, your coach in particular might have just training over the summer. Um, they might send you off to do training by yourself. It depends on your state's athletic association, the regulations, but it's also not uncommon to go off and do a training camp for a week or 10 days or two weeks or something. So is, is that the kind of situation that you're putting together for collegiate, mm -hmm. post-collegiate athletes? A little bit. Yeah. So a lot of college athletes already have that in place. Um, but we did have some college athletes come to our retreat. Our retreat was almost like a weekend away from training in a sense. Like okay. it wasn't really training camp oriented. Like some people did workouts. We did some long runs, et cetera, but it was kind of like, Hey, take a few days and like, don't have organized training. Cause again, you're speaking to a different audience, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of these people have just grown up with, and myself included, it's all about the numbers. It's like, you got to hit these times, run a PR. And so sometimes mm -hmm. it's nice to actually come away from that and just focus on like, Hey, we're going to not totally kick back, but like continue to train and support each other, but like not have the pressure on us. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what it is. Um, yeah, but we've, we've looked into like, we volunteered with certain training camps. I helped out at Carrie Tollefson's one year in Minneapolis and then Melody Fairchild, we had a girl from SRC um, or a woman, Miranda go speak there. So it's been really cool to like, see what people have done within the communities, but um, I don't necessarily coach high school or middle school yet or right now. So <laughs> maybe in the future, it's like, one more thing to my plate, um, but it, it seems awesome to do. So if anyone's listening that wants to, I'd encourage them to get into that. And there's a lot of camps in that regard too. But yeah. then COVID, COVID's thrown a wrench in a lot of things too. So we we put right. that on hold. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, there is so many little niches for mm -hmm. like coaching and coaching specialization. Mm -hmm. And I think you kind of have to decide like maybe maybe a little bit like who do you connect with the most not to say like I don't, I don't know if connects the right word because I'm you know like if you're coaching middle school or high school like you don't connect with your athletes as peers in that sense or like it may be easier for you you know with post-collegiate athletes to connect with you know the people you help out mm -hmm. as as peers a little a little more um but just like there's it's a different kind of impact depending on where that individual is in their running journey you know mm -hmm. when it's they're real just starting out middle school high school you can you set the foundation basically and Definitely. then you get the chance to it sounds like so please correct me if i'm wrong um you know take people who have been through the whole thing they've gotten polishing in in college maybe some post-collegiate stuff and then it's like okay, what, what bad habits do we need to break? Like, I think about this sometimes. I think like, if you look on the, the Instagram for strong, strong runner chicks, I think there's a lot of posts on there that allude to this, like the, the mentality around um, getting away from some like 
I'll call it toxic runner mentality. I don't know that I have a good word for it, but just like there, uh, there's a recent post you have from, is a quote from Lauren Fleshman about running is not who I am. It's something I do, something I love. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think a lot of runners struggle with, especially collegiate or post-collegiate when the team goes away about running. That's who I am. I'm a runner. Right. And, yeah. and like divorcing yourself from that. Uh-huh. So it seems like maybe you get to spend more time kind of working on the person rather than, you know, let's just talk about the perfect like running routine to, yeah. to get you to the next level. There's so much more to that, right? Like the perfect running routine is great, but if, yeah, if you get injured or, you know, you can't run for a couple of weeks for whatever reason, who are you without running, right? Mm-hmm. And that's such a crazy question. And one that I admittedly haven't really had to, face head on. Cause I've never had that injury or like that setback. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of like a, I guess a luxury too, to recognize that like, Oh yeah, who would I be without running? I probably should know that even if I'm not injured, because a lot of runners wait till that point of whatever causes that injury or family loss or something that where they just like stop running and lose sight of themselves. And I think that's all athletes, right? Like any college athlete or competitive athlete when they stop competing they're like what do I do now and so rather that being a crisis in the future like how can you kind of think about that now and have different passions hobbies yeah yeah you know so I when I read that quote on the Instagram it made me think about um, a conversation I had with uh, Kim Vandenberg who's uh, Olympic bronze medal swimmer from 2008 um, when she was on the show uh, it's episode 97, if you want to listen to that particular one after you're done here uh, with my conversation with Megan. Um, but she was talking about like the kids she coaches because she coaches really young kids in, in swimming. That's very common. And I think she was telling me a story about one young girl in particular who's just hyper motivated, you know, like I want to be the best. And, you know, like you, like you, you need that motivation if you want to be the best. But she was really trying to focus in with this girl and and be like, like you need something else. Like you can't, this can't be the whole of your identity. And um, Kim lives it too. Cause she, she plays the piano and she played like, an, I got a little impromptu, impromptu uh, piano recital on the podcast. So that was fun. Nice. But, um, but that's, it's, it's tough, especially when you devote so much time to it. And especially like distance running or ultras, it's such a time sink. So then how much time and energy do you have to devote? to anything else and, and, you know, think outside of that mentality. Yeah, that's true. And that's one reason I, well, I don't know, but I feel that way with like road marathon training sometimes like, oh my gosh, this is my whole thing. I think ultra running, at least with the trails and such kind of opens up doors too, because you're not like confined to some structured Mm. plan. Not that's bad. I mean, I certainly I'm transitioning right now to roads for the foreseeable, like four to six months, mm-hmm. um, just back to road marathon training. But I think that's kind of what drew me into trails and ultras. It's like, oh yeah, you can count a 14 or hike as training. You can count, you know, like I got into obstacle racing cause I could rock climb and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, all these other cool things that, you know, sort of branch you outside of the traditional running sense. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot there. <laughs> so <we're gonna> practice. <laughs> obstacle racing um is that where the strength training comes in where you're like i've got to do that or is it or is that like how does the weightlifting come in i mean i know that it's very common you to college and you're gonna start doing strength training whereas maybe your high school coach didn't do that even if you're a runner but like 
does that does that all work together somehow or is it just tangentially related yeah oh like i don't know if you mean my own training or yes the athletes i coach too i see it all working together really well i mean certainly if you like strength training I mean, I, I've always loved it. I just enjoy it. So mm -hmm. I do it maybe more than is necessary, right? Like the bare minimum needed to get by in running. Some runners get by without it and that's fine, I guess. Like, yeah. I mean, if they're doing preventive work and they're doing body weight and core and such, like maybe they can do it, um, do it as in like not get injured yeah. and do it successfully. For me, that's never been a draw. I just, I really enjoy it. So um, I've had to like scale back and learn that, oh yeah, I actually do a lot better with two days a week, full body strength training, than four days a week of like upper, lower or whatever kind of split routine. Mm -hmm. That's usually what I recommend too. If we're talking like for runners, generally, I think two, maybe three days a week, max of full body can be just as effective, if not mm -hmm. more than like taking yourself away from running. Um, right. Cause a lot of C a lot of runners see that as like time spent away from running yeah. right? that they could be spent running. Um, but I do think it pays off to a certain extent and certainly has kept me, I've been knock on wood injury free for 13 years of my running career. And I think I attribute a lot of that to strength training. And I notice when I don't do it or slack on it, then start to have those little things creep in like, Oh, Achilles pain or it band. So yeah, just kind of something that I use for preventive. And then also it's empowering too. I think it's like, oh yeah, I can really run this hill hard or mm -hmm. fast because I spent that time in the gym doing those step-ups, you know, that prepared me for this or whatever it is. So. I think sometimes it is difficult to try to get somebody who's just focused on running to do something else. Mm -hmm. I think it, it, to me, it boils down to the simple idea that you'll hear thrown around that if you want to get better at running, you need to run more, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, kind of, but it depends. Yeah. How, how many times do you get questions from people and you just go, well, it depends. And, <laughs> There's and then, a lot of it depends, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, there, I think to a certain extent, right? Like the specificity thing. Um, but you were mentioning obstacle racing and like mm -hmm. rock climbing is very specific to obstacle racing to yeah. an extent, but certain parts of it or components to strength also apply to both. And I also kind of see that in your strength training. Like I was saying, the uh, step ups, I mean, step ups is very consistent or sort of like, yeah it sort of applies to running in a sense, anything mm -hmm. single leg, you do that in running, you're alternating your legs and your stance, um, you know, some core routines. Runners don't need to do a ton of upper body, but I still think it's pretty cool to be a runner and be able to do a set of pull-ups or something. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, push-ups can work your core too. So yeah, runners can't just be all bent over, um, hunched over. So we need strong cores and upper body too. Yeah, that's, I don't know how many times I've, I've had to explain that too, where it's like, yes, you need strong legs, but like you have to move your head. And if your core is a noodle, it, it takes, it takes <laughs> yeah. more energy to yeah. get your head because it's full up and about because you don't have a strong core. Yeah. It's it, it, I think if you haven't been around running long enough, it, maybe it's a little counterintuitive or like, or like haven't, haven't taken any anatomy or any kinesiology classes or anything like that. It's like, well, I just need strong legs to go fast, right? It's like, well, uh, there's a little more to it than that, yeah. right? Right, definitely. Um, I do want to ask you a little bit about, I guess I'll call your day job. Um, I don't know what your split is as far as like 
taking care of all your, your athletes and, and doing all the other things you do. Um, but my, you know, my assistant sends all the information to me on you. And, um, the, the thing I kind of highlighted out of that was about, um, you working with like corporations and helping to implement sustainable change in people's lives. So mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask about that in particular, I guess you can give, maybe give an overview of what you do or have done, you know, over your career. Um, but I'm interested in particular about the sustainable change part, um, because I think it is difficult for some, some people to begin something new, but then stick with it. It's easier yeah. to fall back into to bad habits. So I'm just curious, like mm-hmm. how you approach that situation. Yeah, there's so many parallels as you're even asking that question that I think I could get to. Um, I, I think I, you know, I started off my career in like academics focused on the individual and how I could create change in their life. And that's what I do now with my athletes or clients. But then there's like this whole bigger picture that we don't always think about, like, what are they doing the other 23 hours of the day that they're not with you? Or, mm-hmm. you know, after that run, what what's their day job like? Or what's their home life like? And do they have a safe neighborhood to go running in. Um, Just things like that, that you don't always think about. And I think that my master's in public health kind of opened my eyes to that. And then I think about in the workplace, like we spend so much of our lives at work. So, you know, if you're a runner out there, it's like, is your job supporting your running or is it deteriorating? You know, I know a lot of people that are on their feet all day for they're a nurse or they're on the front lines or they've got some crazy like schedule that's not consistent. And that's Mm -hmm. probably going to impact your running or you find a way to work around that. Right. So it's kind of like navigating that. Um, I mean, I know a couple nurses that um, I was talking to one on the podcast months ago now, but you know, just about like how she navigates that and seems to still do well in ultras, but it's sort of like how you apply that to your training. Um, So that's one small piece of it. And yeah, I guess just, like I said, looking at the whole picture, I think our social networks too are a huge part of that. Like I said, I run for that sense of community. Mm -hmm. And I think we can sort of, how can you like make your life? So not just you as a person, like you want to create this own change. Like I want to run at these times and I want to hit this mileage mileage per week, or I want to run a hundred next year. And I am signed up for one. How am I going to get there? Not just me, but like through my community, like, am I going to set up runs group runs Tuesday, Thursday evening? Do I have something in place like those structures and systems where they just become more automatic versus us constantly having to think and plan because it takes so much brain power. So that was kind of a like long-winded way of just saying, think about like the systems and the structures around you. Mm -hmm. And like, is your job going to support you running that hundred or is your family? Do you have friends? Mm -hmm. Do you have a coach? Like, how are you going to get there? Um, Yeah. What trails are you going to run, et cetera, that kind of help you get there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the the old adage about it takes a village, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that in particular about raising a child, but. Applies to running too, right? It's a running, applies to running any large yeah. long-term project. I think it's an, an adequate, mm-hmm. um, it's an adequate adage. Uh, but you're talking about like systems building, which is something I'm always interested in because especially now, like, here I am talking with you. I've got my phone next to me, which could be a distraction. Uh, it's not in, in this particular case, but just like we always have it here, right? It's always yeah. nearby. It uh-huh. lights up. It buzzes, and yeah. so like there's so many distractions that can pull us away from what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. That 
that's why I like like systems building in our personal lives and on the business side, but just for our case here, the personal lives, because like you make decisions and you're like, well, this is just how I do things. And then it's no longer about motivation. You know, I guess I'll ask you about, do people ask you about like, how do I get motivated or how do I oh, stay, yeah. you know, stay motivated? And I, I like, tell them it's not like I, I'm motivated to go on my runs, maybe half 70%. I mean, it is a sign though, if you're never motivated, like maybe you need to do something different. Like right. I'll notice if I really drag going on a run all the time, then yeah. But it's almost automated. Like when I wake up, I'm a morning runner. So it's like, you mm -hmm. know, just kind of do my thing. And I have a dog that sits there too. He's like, are you going to leave yet? Or are you taking me or what's going on? Um, Cause he's kind of like, meh, fair weather runner, but that's another side note. But you know, they can even like pets or family members are kind of like pushing you out the door or helping you get out the door in some way. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it does become automated where it's almost an expectation that like, oh yeah, by 7am, if I'm not out there on the trail, there's something wrong. Or it's just kind of like my way of life most days, right? I mean, of course I have an off day or two, but just kind of like how you live your life and how, yeah, kind of where you set those boundaries. I know I'm same with bedtime and stuff. Like if mm -hmm. I'm not in bed by 10 or 11 at the very latest, um, and that's like late for me, then there's a problem. That's just mm -hmm. how I run. And I think just knowing the way that you work as a human and like when you kind of have those working with your cyclical nature, because whether we like to admit it or not, I think our biological clock kind of likes a semblance of routine or structure. Mm -hmm. So figuring out what that is for you and working with it has just been just, yeah, that's just been a constant in my life. And it's funny because I do, I kind of hate monotony. I don't like doing the same thing all the time. I like talking to new people, doing new things, mm -hmm. breaking the schedule up or like changing where I run. Right. Um, so out of every morning of the week, I have the luxury. I don't need to run the same trail every single time, but I am waking up around the same time and I'm getting out there at the same time. So that kind of stuff, right? Like you can make it consistent, but also switch it up to have a little bit of that. Um, yeah. Fun in there. Spontaneity. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's funny. I, I was actually talking about that on the videos I was shooting earlier. Cause I, I kind of felt that today where I was just like, I don't, the mileage I needed, I was like, I've done this kind of run a number of times, like it's like like an eight miler. And I'm like, I've done like sevens this week, kind of building back in after I was doing some maintenance mile while we were on vacation. And I'm like, I've done these runs. Like I need, I need something else. And it was even just like, just a small variation, just going the opposite way, go, taking a couple different streets. Mm -hmm. Like it just something helps break up the, like you said, the monotony. And I mean, that's the trouble with distance running, right? It's like, you have to be consistent if you want to make any progress, but if you do the mm -hmm. exact same thing, then you're probably going to like want to bang your head against the wall because you're, you're <laughs> yeah. so bored of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to back up a little bit and mm -hmm. I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. So um, I don't know when you started running, but I'm going to assume a relatively young age like I did. Uh, so I think for people like us, maybe, you know, this is again, play devil's advocate, a little easier for us because we already have those systems in place from when we're young, right? Mm -hmm. So have you worked with or know anyone who started running as an adult and successfully mm -hmm. implemented those systems and made a life change? Because I feel like mm -hmm. we already have the, 
the momentums of our lives going in this direction, working positively for us, where we, again, the system's built, we don't have to think about it. But when you're implementing mm -hmm. it, there is thinking that has to be done. So can, can you talk about that situation? Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't have a remarkable like running a story of like couch to 100 quite yet, but um, I'm taking clients if anyone wants to be that story. Um, but I do have, you know, folks, especially that I've worked with around because I've been a personal trainer for now seven plus years mm -hmm. around like establishing those healthy habits and those like strength training. And sometimes they'll get into like running a 5k later on. But you know, strength training too is hard because they got to get into the gym and they got to overcome these barriers. Like some people just walking into the gym is like, oh my gosh, or signing up for a race. It's like, mm -hmm. whoa, that's a big step. So yeah, it's one step at a time, um, little bits. Like I said, that social connection piece is so huge. Like the social component, like a lot of them will, you know, get their neighbor involved and like their neighbor comes over for a garage workout once a week. And so it's not just me being their only support in their life. They have to have other sources. Mm -hmm. um, and then knowing like, if they do slip up a day or two, like, a, they miss a one run or two runs. Okay. But no more than two, right? Like after they miss two days, they're right back on it and they get in and they just have this sort of routine. Um, sometimes for people rewards too, like, and not just like rewarding yourself with a pile of, you know, donuts or whatever, like something that's really going to help you get towards your goal. So it's like, uh, you know, Hey, if I hit this marker or whatever it is that you have, set for yourself, then how are you going to um, celebrate that and recognize your progress along the way? Because those milestones, you have to celebrate those little things. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, oh, gosh, it's like six months away. I'm never going to get there. You know, like celebrate the milestones when you hit your first 5K you've run or your first mile that you've run um, without walking, you know, something like that. Um, is is major. So I have helped people create that. And it's really cool to see when they have made those changes a few months down the road, it's like, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine my life before, you know, before I did this thing, before I was weightlifting regularly. I just, I, yeah, I feel terrible when I don't now. And they notice that. So I think there's definitely hope and yeah, we're still probably a little biased, but it goes with anything too. I compare it to like, I'm a terrible swimmer. Like what if I wanted to start swimming for a triathlon or mm -hmm. meditation? I'm not great at doing that regularly. So I've gone on like 30 day meditation, you know, kind of gotten in the swing of things or set a goal for myself of like doing it three out of five days a week, something mm -hmm. that's more manageable for me than like all seven days of the week. Right. So three or five days a week of a, oh yeah, I'm going to sit down and meditate. But anyway, so I guess just like thinking about yourself in that context of when because I think we've all had those changes we've tried to implement. And even though I've been a runner for all these years, it took a while to get into certain habits like rock climbing consistently, doing yoga, mm -hmm. meditating, that kind of stuff. I still have to work at. The, the idea of like trying to implement something new. And I wish I knew who to attribute this quote to. Um, I saw it on Reddit at some point. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, so sorry, Reddit person or whoever, wherever it came from. But the idea that if, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. So, which, you know, at first, like, you're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, like yeah. all these motivational quotes about like, go do it and you're going to be awesome. And mm -hmm. they're all very uplifting. And you're like, what? <laughs> so yeah, think about it. So it's the, I mean, it's the idea that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing it a little bit versus not at all. 
like some amount of it is going to be better for you. Yeah. Even if it doesn't meet the expectations of the plan, some amount of it doing it poorly is going to be better than not doing it. Yeah. And I, I've like, I feel like I do a lot of different things. Um, and I won't try to enumerate all of those things now, but just, I have lots of hobbies and stuff. And I personally put a lot of pressure on myself to be good at all of these things, but that's like my own expectations. So when I think about like implementing new stuff or trying to get into something, some, for whatever reason, that quote sticks with me. Cause it's like, it, it opens the release valve of pressure where it's like, you bring your expectations down and then you're free to like, oh, you made a mistake or you missed a day or whatever. Like, it's not the end of the world. Get back, keep trying and make progress. So do you, do you have thoughts on the that quote or that kind of line of thinking? Yeah, I like that. I, um, I think it's interesting. It's worth doing poorly. It's like, okay, yeah. Take some of the pressure off. Like I think about running a hundred next year and I'm like, yeah, that might go terribly, but it's worth doing, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you gotta give it your best shot, but that holds a lot of people back from um, from even taking action is that idea that it has to be perfect the first time or, and you know, this as an entrepreneur probably, but like launching that first podcast and cringing mm -hmm. at yourself or like, you know, yeah, if you're gonna try to run a 5K, like it might not be perfect the first time or um, whatever it is. And I think of myself floundering in the pool, trying to swim a few laps. It's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> that applies. Um, but yeah, I, I think don't let it, perfection hold you back or whatever that one quote is on the, like, don't let perfect be the enemy of good, right? Like yes. just, if it's decent or right, then it's still fine. If it's poor, okay. But you got to show up for yourself in any way that you can. Yeah. I, I know the quote as something like, I'm sure there's several very like it. It's like perfection is the enemy of progress. Yeah. You know, if you're so focused on everything being just so like, you're going to miss out on right. moving forward. Yeah. Um, as a side note, if you decide to want to get into triathlon, um, send me an email or anybody, if you want to get into triathlon, send me an email. I have a, a great kind of coaching network of people that can help you with that, uh, especially your issue with swimming. Uh, I have somebody who's oh, yeah. very, very, very good at swimming. Nice. She could help you. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no pressure you already you're signed up for 100 uh you should probably focus on that versus try to do a triathlon and that at the same time um who knows what i mean what was the i guess i should ask like what was the motivation for for doing 100 this is just the next challenge do you have that social social connection where somebody's like megan we're gonna go do this and you're like okay or were you the one that you kind know. of a few of those. Yeah. So I was looking at doing a hundred spent on my bucket list. I had the social pressure influence of my friends starting to get more into them. And I'm thinking, gosh, I really, I need to do one of these soon, like mm -hmm. at some point. And then um, I ran the Austin Rattler and this was actually my coach was like, Hey, you, you should consider doing Leadville next year. And I'm like, really? I don't know about that. I'll run the qualifying race and see. And then at this qualifying race, the Austin Rattler, which is in Texas, which mm -hmm. is don't ask me why that's a Leadville qualifier, but it's a sea level and it's pretty flat. So I run this, I get a gold coin and they're like, okay, are you in or are you out? You know, mm -hmm. do you want to run this or not? And I Gotta was like, decide. Well, I guess I'm in, you know, you just don't pass up an opportunity to run Leadville. And now I found out two to three of my other friends are doing it. Probably more people. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, anyway, I'm pretty excited and I'm not in it alone. I have two other friends. I think for one, it'll be your first 100 too. So pretty cool and 
stoked about it. So yeah, terrifying too. But if you're not signed up for something that terrifies you, then what's life, right? You got to live a little bit, try something. Got to try to drive off the edge. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So I, I can't remember when is Leadville? It's August of next year. Okay. I was like, I, th- yeah. I was like, I think you've got a, a little ways out. Oh yeah. Especially if you're talking about switching your road here for a little while. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll check back in with you next year and see, see, see how that went. Yeah. Um, Please do. So uh, I kind of want to wrap up a little bit. I also want to ask you two of these, cause you touched on this earlier. So I, mm-hmm. I have a question that I ask every guest each season. The question is different. Um, funny enough, here we are near the end of the, the year. So maybe I'll ask you both of them. We'll get, get to the one for the season, but I'm going to ask you the one for next year. Cause you already touched on it. Uh, a friend suggested this to me. And the, the question for next year is going to be, how do you celebrate your wins? You'd already kind of touched on this, like celebrating little things. Cause a lot of people pass them by. Oh, how do I celebrate my wins mm-hmm. just in general? Yeah. That's a good question. I think, oh gosh, <clears throat> I guess in a lot of different ways, but I think just recognizing them and like, this sounds kind of, whatever it might sound to people, but like taking a moment to write them down. So they're actually on paper. So it's like, oh yeah, I did have that win. Cause then it's nice to go look back a year or two years if you're feeling down or whatever it is, or you just need some inspiration. I'm like, oh, I can be my own source of that by seeing what I've done. Like I was just looking back on it. I'm not a huge notebook journaler, but I have sometimes in the past. So I, I looked back two years ago, I saw that I, I wanted to live in Colorado and have this current job. And I was sort of like planting those seeds and mm-hmm. I wanted to do a hundred. I had like, or do a 50. I did my first 50 this year, but I wrote these things down, right? I want to have my own business. I want to do this thing. I want to work for whatever. And so it's cool to like write those on paper, put them out there. And then you look at it years down the road and you go, oh, wow, I did those things. So it's almost like writing about the wins before they happen and what Mm -hmm. they will be. And then really taking a moment to like check them off and celebrate the fact that you've achieved those. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That's the biggest piece I have, but just like acknowledging them in the first place and then relishing in them and kind of taking that time to be like, oh yeah, I did that thing. And that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. so the and the reason that uh, my friend suggested that quote that uh, to me for next year is a little bit not quite an antithesis, but a little bit in, in the opposite direction of this year's questions. I'll ask you that now. It's how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal? Since funny enough, we were kind of talking about motivation not even being a factor, but I'll ask you anyway. How do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal? I think it's like assessing what went wrong with the goal. Like mm-hmm. what were those factors looking at it in an objective way? Like, why didn't you quite hit that goal? What might you have changed? Um, admittedly, I mean, like, I guess Austin, I would have liked to win that race or mm-hmm. second. I mean, it's just like, okay, th- third was great. And that sounds ridiculous probably to some people, but <laughs> you know, I went in with like this hot shot kind of mind of like, Oh, coming from altitude, it'll be great. And then like a lot of things just didn't go as planned and it wasn't perfect. So it's not like I was disappointed at the end of the day, but there's stuff I could have done differently, like not flown in the day before and spent mm seven or eight hours sitting the day before, you know, I just felt kind of creaky and not great. So just things you can do differently and um, knowing that that leads to new opportunities, right? Like I still got another race out of it that I'm signed up for now and that I can work towards. And mm-hmm. I just think about goals I haven't hit in the past and kind of thinking like, 
yeah, like I have, I've DNF'd one obstacle course race, the Spartan World Championships, and that was a huge letdown, but it was like hypothermia related and it was kind mm. of out of my control in some sense. Um, but other things like, yeah, could I have just packed differently? Like I shouldn't have, I should have had a change of clothes. I should have had a crew member or somebody there to support me. I should have done this differently. So anyway, just kind of going through um, maybe that's kind of negative to say what you should have, but what are you using that as fuel forward to like in the next attempt, how are you going to change those things and just seeing it more as a learning experience? No, I think that's fair. I, you know, it, in some ways, I mean, it takes the emotional sting out of it, right. Where you're like, um, I remember talking to, uh, Olympic rower, Akil Abdullah, and he was talking about like, as he gets older, he looks at things more objectively. And, and it's like, could I have done anything differently? And then also just knowing just some days you get beat, somebody's just better than you. And mm-hmm. it, that's, it just is what it is. Like there's nothing, yeah. there's nothing that you, even if you had a perfect day, sometimes somebody that's better just shows yeah. up. And they always say control the controllables, right? right? And not everything is controllable. Competitors, weather. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Megan, where can people find you, uh, the podcast, the Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Where, where can they get in touch? Yeah, they can find me. Um, I'm at Meg inspire on Instagram. Meginspire.com is like my personal website. And then strongrunnerchicks.com is where you can find strong runner chicks. You can find our podcast there. We're on Spotify, Apple, Google play, I think, uh, stitcher <laughs> maybe. Um, and we're at strong run chicks on Instagram. So that's an easy way to find us. Um, yeah. Anyway, that would be the best way to get in touch. Or again, if you're trail runner, uh, if you subscribe to outside magazine or trail runner mag, go find us over there and you can ask, ask me a question for an in-depth response. So yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out with me today, Megan. Thanks. This is great. Thanks, Jesse.